Welcome, and thank you for listening to the New Day Podcast. We are located in South Kansas City, proclaiming the good news of God's grace to our region and abroad. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, newdaykc.org.
there is life there. And I know for many of you, just like me, some of the deepest, darkest, most discouraging times of my life when I ran to my Bible and opened those pages and it would fall open to Psalm 103. And you go, oh. And it's just that, do you ever have that? Do you, do you know what that moment, that, oh. you, Are you guys like me? It's just that moment. There's no words for it. You just go, oh. You know, and it kind of buckles your knee and you go, I'm going to. You know, and there's that assurance of the presence of God. I'm going to be okay. And it's right there in his word. And I think that's maybe one of the primary things about the word of God, the written word of God. By the way, when you get into your New Testament, you start reading your New Testament, and it starts talking about the word when they, in the various letters, that's actually not a reference to a Bible. When it talks about scripture in Timothy, it's referring to all of the passages that are in, found in the Old Covenant. But in the, you got to remember, in these times when it talks, like in Hebrews, when he's talking about uh, the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword, he's talking about the living word, Jesus. Jesus is the living word. That's why John started his gospel that way. In the beginning was the word, but it's not talking about a written word. It's talking the word is logos, or, you know, it's that he is the embodiment of the expression of God to us. And he was alive to them. And so when it's referring to that, it's actually referring, whenever you see that, to Jesus. Isn't it interesting that John, I really like John. <laughs> First of all, because John was probably a teenager when he was a disciple, you know, all the, all the paintings that we see, everything always shows the disciples as these old guys. They weren't old guys. They were old guys when they got old. But most of them didn't live to see old. Most of them got martyred. They think John, I read one uh, study that thought John may have been between 14 and 15 when he started following Jesus. Now, there's no... There's sort of a way to sort of prove that in the fact that he was the one who lived. He was not, he was not martyred in the sense, he, he was martyred in the sense of his imprisonment, but he wasn't martyred in the sense that he died for the sake of the gospel for Jesus. He lived to 90-something. So that's how they're able to backtrack his age. Um, I, I forget which church father it was, but talked about because he, he spent his last time at the church of Ephesus, and he was a very old man. He was frail, and they would help him stand up in front of people. And this, is, this was his message continually. Love one another. He could hardly talk above a whisper. That was his message that he gave. Love one another. I love that about him. All the days of his life, and his message at the end was the message at the beginning. And the stuff that he, he wrote. You know, it's just, it's so good. So we've been looking at how to look and read your Bible, gaining the greatest understanding. And so we've looked at one question, first question. Actually, there were three questions within a question. But what does the passage of Scripture mean in the light of his finished work on the cross? Because you ha have to differentiate as you're reading. Even when you get into it, when you open the New Covenant, 
you start reading in the Gospels, actually the new covenant didn't begin till the death and resurrection of Jesus. So the stories about what Jesus is teaching, we looked at this two weeks ago, so, so this is just a reminder. Jesus was teaching looking forward to the cross himself. And he was teaching to the fullness of the law. Completely. So everything he taught was centered in that covenant that he was born in. He was born within that covenant. Just before he dies, he starts talking to them about a new covenant, a different way, a different understanding. Then when he's raised from the dead, I love this story, it's the Emmaus Road one, and then there's another account of it. But Jesus starts walking with his disciples who, get this, don't recognize him. How could you not recognize him? I don't know, but they didn't recognize him. And he starts sharing the scriptures from Moses through the prophets, revealing that they were speaking of him. He doesn't tell them about Moses. He tells them about himself in the scriptures. That's how we're to read that looking towards it, reading. Even when I'm reading in the Gospels, Jesus came, and you know, you can see it in this in like the Sermon on the Mount. And I've, I've, I've heard wonderful sermons on this. I have a friend up in Minnesota who wrote a whole a book and a series about the Sermon on the Mount that's incredible. And then I've heard things, I don't know how you are, that are butchered and just going, I don't think that's what that means. Uh, and when you read that, so when he does stuff like, I tell you, you've heard it said, thou shalt not murder. You got to go to the old King James with that, thou shalt not. Um, he says, I'm telling you, here's the true purpose of the law. If you call somebody you barely know a fool, you're in danger of judgment. He takes it to, he has to teach to the fullness of what the law really is because he came to fulfill everything. He did all that. We didn't, and he did. I don't think Jesus ever called somebody stupid. Was he tempted to call him stupid? Yes, he was tempted in every way, just like us. When I drive down the road, there's plenty of people I'd like to say. You know, have you ever done that and then see the little cross and clergy sign on the back bumper? You know? Jesus came to fulfill all that. When he dies and rises from the dead, things take on a different light. He's teaching to the cross and to the fulfillment of what the cross would do. So one of the things you want to ask yourself is what I'm reading, looking forward to Christ and his redemptive work, or looking back on it. Everything that we find in the letters, okay, that are written after the Gospels, are looking back towards the cross and going, <gasps> and making sense of what we are, what we're doing, how we are, because it gets fulfilled. It's that finished work on the cross changed everything. Once you answer that question as you're reading, the second question that you have to ask of any scripture is 
who is this writing to or about? Otherwise, you have a great danger of misinterpreting what that passage of scripture means. Um, and some people call it cherry picking, and I've, I've done it a hundred times. We all do it. I pick out one passage of scripture and use it in my life. Is that wrong or bad? Doesn't have to be, but it can be because you're taking it out of the context it was written. Um, you can get some, uh, like the Phillips translation, it doesn't even differentiate between each individual verse. Have you ever just read like a passage, a letter from Paul, as the letter from Paul, and take out all the, you get rid of all the verse numbers and all the chapters, and you read it as an actual letter written sometimes to a group of people, sometimes to individuals, sometimes about people, sometimes to people, sometimes, most of the time, for people, you and I. But not everything that gets addressed we, uh, necessarily is meant directly to you. That's why you have, when you're reading it, you have to ask the question, who is he writing to? Um, and the other reason you want to do that is you want to ask the question, the passage I'm reading, was it directed to those under the law or under grace? It's a huge question. When you're reading each of those passages, what was this actually addressing? Who, who, what group of people it was addressing? I'll give you an example. In 1 John, he addresses not only three different groups of believers, but he also addresses two other groups that aren't. One thinks they're believers and one probably not. And 1 John in his letter addresses all of those. He addresses Gnostics that are in the church. He addresses Gnostics that are outside of the church. And then he addresses the people of the church and he breaks them down into two, three different groups of people, fathers, young, you know, older men and young men, children. And so you have to keep going, you go, wait, what was that sentence to? Who is he talking to? Because you can take it very different. Are you a Gnostic? I don't even know what Gnosticism is. Well, there are people that believe that you had to have a special revelation in order to enter into the things of God, but it, that it was above and beyond the natural of what God had given us. And that with that special, special knowledge, you could live your life in a way that separated you from other people. Are you a Gnostic? I don't think so. I can learn about it as I read it. I can understand it. But that isn't written to me. It's written for me. And I have to be able to read it or, or I'll apply it in, in different ways. The reason I say under law or under grace is that many of the things that Paul addressed were to two different groups of people, sometimes three and four in all of his letters. Um, is it for those who know Jesus or those who don't? Huh? We, we find that in the New Testament in all the letters. Um, now, it's not about judging people. Jesus loves everyone. Not everyone loves him. And Paul addresses those different groups of people. He addresses those that love him 
and those that don't know him and how they live their lives. And people divide themselves by their response to truth. Think about Jesus distinguishing in the Gospels the difference between sheep and goats. Does Jesus love the sheep more than he loves the goats? No, that would mean his love changed. But their responses to him in that very parable that he gives, if you look at it, he has different words to speak to them. He addresses them in a different way. Um, we're all, all of us, uh, it's funny how this comes up so much in, in church life today, but not being a Pharisee. Jesus did not hate the Pharisees. He hated what it represented. He did not like it at all. And he always gave warnings to Pharisees. He never dismissed them. You hear him say, woe to you Pharisees, but he doesn't hear Get out of my sight, you Pharisees. He doesn't discount them or move them away. He gives them a warning, and he said harsh things to them. They belonged to their father, the devil. They were believing lies. He was the father of lies. Uh, find that in John chapter 8. Again, that was for them, not for you. You ever been religious? Oh, nobody will admit to it, huh? This is strange for New Day. Is it because we have visitors? Yeah, I've already been religious. I lived in religion for you, and I'm never religious anymore. Huh. Of all the things I've been learning to get over, it's my own religion. It's my own views. It's my own pharisaical heart within me. But within that, in having times when I can be judgmental or I can be pharisaical, or I can make decisions so quickly and move into stuff. Jesus doesn't ever address me as a Pharisee. I'm his favorite kid. He doesn't see me as a Pharisee. He goes, oh, Lloyd, <laughs> that was way out of bounds. Don't do that, buddy. But he doesn't go, woe to you, Lloyd. Now you've put your foot in it. That's just not, that's not how he, he doesn't say woe to me. He draws me close. I'm his kid. Sets me on his lap. Whispers. Um, does God correct people? I would hope so. I've needed it so much in my life. He doesn't reject me with correction. And sometimes you really needed to be beat up. You know, I, I've said this so many times, but usually when I thought that I needed the Lion of Judah, I got the Lamb of God. Really, so many times when I was demanding of God that I hear the lion's roar, I got, <laughs> and here comes the Lamb of God going, oh, I took it all for you, buddy. And then times when I was feeling most compassionate over my own circumstances uh, and was sure that I needed the Lamb of God to tenderly come beside me and let me know that I was here. I hear this, and this roar from heaven that let me know he is the King of all kings and the Lord of our lords. And that's about all it took. He didn't ever have to say, woe to you, Lloyd. And it was all done in love to draw me close into him, 
never to rebuke me away from him, never to get rid of me. Listen, there's times in your life you want the lion roar. Somebody say amen. There's, t- there's times in your life you do want that. I don't want it tomorrow. Okay, I get I understand. And uh, But you belong. You belong to your Father in heaven. And everything in the Bible is helpful, but not everything is helpful to you. And it should be obvious... but it's not. Oftentimes it's not obvious, and that's how we get taking. As we're reading our Bibles, we take things out of the context that they were written in, and we especially forget to ask the question, who was this written to? Why why did Paul write that there? Because Paul was addressing, Think, don't, don't you love Paul? I think of his life how much of it he had to do alone. But he had to orchestrate what this was going to look like because it had never been before. No wonder he spent 13 years alone. Just going, wow. And then the Lord's showing up, sharing with him about communion. And then planning churches along with fellow workers who then had no blueprint. And Paul starts writing a blueprint and laying it out there. That's why one of the reasons you see a lot of corrections in the New Testament letters is he had to correct things. It was off. Does that mean that you're off? No, it doesn't. Are you a citywide church? No, you're an individual. Are we a group of people and can we learn from it? I I hope we do. I hope our hearts are definitely there. I've I've heard expressed in discussions with other people, even recently, um, people saying things like, the New Testament epistles were written exclusively for churches, so we should do everything in them. That's the big buzzer of, uh uh-uh. That statement is not right. It's not true. One of the epistles was addressed to the 12 tribes. It wasn't even addressed to the churches. It's because the church was quite simply a sect within Judaism at that point in time. They weren't even ministering yet uh, to very many non-Jewish people. And within the Jewish sect, there was all kinds of confusion about, well, he's the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. Do Do I celebrate this? What do I do about the feast? And then you see Paul addressing it. You see the, the writer of Hebrews, who I think was Paul, the arguments about it. Um, but for us to do everything in them, um, if you look at James when he addressed the 12 tribes, um, he had a lot to say, and he said it in a way that Paul wouldn't have said it to Gentile believers who are coming in, who not only, now now think about this, they get saved, they've never been under the law, they're not Jewish, they don't know anything about the old covenant scriptures, 
that's why Paul got really furious with some people and said, and addresses the church, and he goes, you weren't Jews. Now you want to be Jews? That's how he would say it today. You're, you're not Jewish. Why are you trying to be Jewish? Be a follower of Jesus. Be a Christian. Don't be Jewish. You don't have to do that. Why do you want to go learn what they had to get free from? Why do you want to practice what Jesus came to fulfill so that they wouldn't have to no longer practice it conditionally? I'm telling you, God loves you the same unconditional way he now loves them. It's mind-boggling. So, um, are you part of the 12 tribes? Well, now there's been weird spiritual teaching on that. I'm of the tribe of this, and I'm of the tribe of that baloney. You're a follower of Jesus. Um, does that mean that uh, what Paul's saying there is irrelevant to me? Not at all. I can learn and grow from it. I'm supposed to get understanding from it. They're very useful, and you can learn a whole lot. Uh, I'm saying you need to filter everything you read through Jesus. You just have to keep that focus. Read it through the eyes of Jesus and consider who is being addressed. Look at James, okay? He, first he says to the 12 tribes. So James, who's leading the church in Jerusalem, writes to the 12 tribes who are in disarray. And uh, he says, uh, hey, you people who are rich, there's not much hope for you. You need to wail and moan because you're doing it incorrectly. Does that mean that you as a believer should never be rich? If you have money, should you moan over it? If you are, you can share it with me because I won't moan. <laughs> I might go, hmm, but I won't moan. He was addressing a specific group of people at that point in time. doesn't mean that God doesn't want you to have wealth. If he blesses you with wealth, do I have to, I'm a soul, I'm going to live, and because I'm in God, he's going to give me wealth. Not necessarily. Um, you, you probably will be blessed. I haven't been a wealthy man by many standards, but I have been a wealthy man. Seriously. His watch care, his provision, his life and his love over me, Listen, I've had no lack. I've never gone without a, I've had no lack of food. And he has blessed me, honored me, taken care of me, given me stuff. He's given, oh, so many natural gifts here on the earth. So should I wail over that? No, I want to tell people about it. God's really been kind to me, really good to me. He's really prospered me. Um, you know, even if uh, even if you're not rich, do you ever like consider Abraham in the old covenant? Actually, he was pre-law in the covenant he had. He he was like by today's standards, he was a multimillionaire, and God's favor was on him 
all the time. Matter of fact, we live more akin to the Abrahamic covenant than we do the covenant of Moses and the law. should really look at the differences between them. So does that make sense? It's who's being addressed, and you want to, uh, you definitely want to, uh, wait, i got to give you one more example before we get out of here, because people mess this one up all the time. So this is from Peter's second letter, and this letter is addressed to believers and opens with the most heartwarming, heartening, grace and peace and abundance <laughs> is yours. Uh, but in the second chapter, Peter literally goes ballistic. He condemns those who never stop sinning. He cites proverbs about dogs returning to their vomit and warns of divine retribution. Uh, you may start wondering, wait a minute, he said grace and peace. But if I sin, he's, it, it's that. Um, so why is Peter's so tough on this, and which is it? Is he getting on your back? Um, he's not talking about you. You have to look at who he's, he's addressing. He's actually addressing false prophets and false teachers that were in the midst of the church. So the blessing he had was, yes, for that whole group, the whole church, but he doesn't hold back on those who are trying to take advantage of the church. Does that mean that every sin I have, I deserve the same thing and I'm a dog returning to my vomit? No. We started this, this morning with the passage, as far as the east is from the west. That's what I receive. In, that's in Christ. Those others were not in Christ. And he addresses them very differently. So I've always struggled with reading both First and Second Peter because he's so adamant. Uh, but if you just take the time to look and ask yourself the question, who, who's he talking to right here? Because it'll say, he lays it out very clearly in the one or two verses just above it. And uh, he quite clearly says that those who deny the Lord are slaves of depravity. He's not talking about people that struggle with their life in God. He's, he refers it to that they're in the air of Balaam. That's how you know he's addressing false prophets who were Balaam. You all probably know the story very well. He, he was giving false prophecies to people for gain. And he was wearing a sheep's clothing. He was acting like them but he was doing it to get ahead and to put them down. And uh, you read that in chapter 2 of Peter, and then all of a sudden, chapter 3, I love this, it turns again. That's why you have to ask within one particular, uh, what we call chapters or headings in the Bible. In chapter 3, he goes, dear friends, and his whole tone changes again. So it's really important. You understand? Now, who do you think he's addressing when he says, dear friends? He's a dear friends. Who do you think it is meant for? You and, even you and I today as believers. But are you a prophet like Balaam? Do you speak false prophecies? Are you, is that your purpose in the church? Well, I've seen people like that. Well, let the Lord deal with them. 
and you receive the dear friends and see the warning and go, yeah, I, I better start praying for them. They might be in trouble and doing it that way. The only way we get things wrong when we read it is when we confuse dear friends of chapter 3 with slaves of depravity of chapter 2. That's when we get mixed up. And that happens over and over and over. All you have to do is read them. Even tough letters in the, in the New Testament, because we're going to look at hard things like Jude. Jude's a tough book because he addresses some really difficult things. And uh, the, uh, the, and it's really interesting because you have to pick up on the pronouns. He says, woe to them. He doesn't say woe to you. He starts describing them. He says, woe to them. Well, guess what? Use not them. You are you. And he wants you to be aware of it. We're supposed to be aware of it and have a knowledge of it, but not that it's directed for my life. So, when you're going to read with New Covenant eyes over the New Testament, make sure you sell, ask yourself that question, who's he addressing? Next week, what we're going to look at is what happens when Scripture looks like it's contradictory. And what takes place, have you ever had those? By the way, I used to be one of those preachers who say, well, it never contradicts itself. Yeah, it does. Yep, it does. Right there in the New Testament, it does. You'll, and again, you have to watch who's he talking to because that changes whether it's contradictory or not. So when you read the Gospels, this is just a, a tidbit for next week. Jesus says, this is a biggie, unless you forgive, you won't be forgiven. He does say that, doesn't he? Why did he say that? Because it was to the fulfillment of the law. It was conditional. Operative word, if. Unless you forgive others. If you forgive others, it will be forgiven you. But you get to both Ephesians and Colossians and Paul's writing, and he says this, forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you. It's, it's not to the law. And now, after the cross, forgiveness is a gift, not an obligation. You don't get it by giving. You receive it and share. Forgive as Christ has forgiven you, which is east from west completely. So we'll look, look at a couple of them. It'll be a lot of fun, so stand with me. I hope this was helpful today. And please, in a non-obligatory way, read your Bibles. Full of life, full of instruction. And man, if you, I'm desperate to hear from God, read your Bible. Read your Bible. It's right there. I wish somebody would give me a word. The Holy Spirit will. Read your Bible. And it'll just open up and flood your heart. And then if you're not sure of what it says, Talk to somebody about it, yeah?
Jesus, I pray, Lord, that in the, in the simplicity of teaching and an understanding that it wouldn't be complex for us. It wouldn't be hard to discern. It wouldn't be difficult. We ask for the revelation of how much your love is for us, how much you care for us, that we are your dear children, and that you want to bless us with understanding. So I just pray that for each one of us right now, that stuff would just jump off the page when we read our Bibles. In Jesus' name. I may the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face to shine upon you, be gracious unto you. The Lord, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Would you love one another as you go? Go say hi to somebody you don't know. <laughs>